Well, we hope you enjoyed the last episode of No Driving Gloves and my pleasant voice soothing you on your car ride or your lawn mowing activities or working in the shop or however. But no I driving gloves. I almost fell asleep and ran off the road listening to it. Hey, see, it works. That's what it's supposed to be is soothing. And obviously with Derek interjecting, this is going to be a little bit better episode of No Driving Gloves. We're up to three people this week. So all of us are back. Uh, what's been keeping you guys busy? What's What's been happening? Oh, come on, Will. Tell us what you've been doing. You always go first. All right, I'll go, I'll go first this week. Well, I know. That's why I want you to go first. <laughs> um, you know, um, unfortunately, my grandfather passed away last week, so that's um, one of the biggest reasons I wasn't able to record. Um, so I've, I've been... I've been dealing with that and me and my grandfather were really close. So, um, you know, it's just not something you, you get over overnight. So, um, that, uh, that kind of had my week all, all messed up last week. So, um, other than that, you know, pretty normal activity around the shop, uh, getting ready to go on our, uh, annual spring break family vacation with my wife and two beautiful daughters my wife's beautiful also so so anyway that's uh that's about all that's going on here in Poseyville. what about you derek well uh, i was on a business trip last week that's why i was unable to join in on the podcast i uh, had to head up to the detroit area not only do some research for some exhibits coming up at the museum, but uh, visited the uh, wonderful uh, General Motors Heritage Center and uh, also the Design Center, and uh, got to see some some of the cool collections there that I haven't seen in probably oof, almost 10 years uh, since last time I had visited any of those locations back in my Henry Ford Museum days. So I uh, had a good trip up there and enjoyed myself and uh, uh, learned a little bit that's going to be coming out in some new exhibits coming up at the uh, Corvette Museum on uh, Corvette history and just some of the cool things that have happened over time. So uh, just keeping busy with work mostly, that's that's what's been keeping me busy. So And Will, you know, as, as John and I have said off air, uh, we're very sorry for the loss of your grandfather. So. Well, thank you. I too, as Derek just said, I'm sorry, Will. I know he meant a lot to you, and I know you spent every Tuesday with him for the last couple of weeks, so it's time well spent, and I'm sure there's a lot of memories just hanging out with him. No. I, I actually spent every Tuesday with him for the last two years. I went over there every Tuesday night and uh, and fixed him dinner, and because my, my grandmother passed away about three years ago, and uh, so anyway, I was just, uh, well, I, I remember uh, we recorded one Tuesday night and, uh, we, we never did that again because he kind of gave you a little bit of crap for, <laughs> for cutting out early. Yeah. He, uh, he, he, he really enjoyed my company and, uh, you know, when, when I went over there and cooked, it wasn't, it really wasn't about the cooking, you know, it was, uh, you know, after dinner we sat around and. He turned the TV off and we put our, I put my cell phone in my back pocket and, you know, we, we, uh, we just sat there and talked about stocks and cars and business and, you know, family, whatever, you know, and, um, it was, uh, it was, it was good for him and it was really, really good for me. Now I'll say, um, I'll pick up where we'll get off that topic and, say I think the last couple weeks or so I've just been plugging away a little bit working on a couple different lotus at work uh doing some poking around at my house if uh trying to decide whether or not to put my house and shop on the market and move down the street a little bit and in a different house and uh shop <laughs> got a pretty good uh deal deal on something else if I'm interested so just a lot of uh personal activities for me also I think we uh, chose a topic, and th this has come up in uh, conversations recently. I think I've even seen it on our social media. And a lot of people have approached, I, I know I get it, and I'm sure Will and Derek do. Uh, you know, We don't really rehash these topics before the show. We just always go right off the cuff. 
But how do you get into, say, the street rod builder? Or how do you become a street rod builder or a metal shaper or fabricator or welder or curator of a museum or, you know, a restoration technician? There's so, you know, so many different ways of doing it, so many different ways of going about it. And I think we're going to chat a little bit on how briefly we've, you know, covered in other episodes how we each have gotten to our jobs. We'll recap that a little bit. But maybe how we see, you know, people coming into each of our industries, you know, where Derek hires from or how Will hires from, what he's looking for in an employee and what he's looking for in, um, uh, you know, past work experience. How do you get in? Because we all hear the, the stories of, well, I started pushing a broom in a shop when I was 13 years old and I did that and I slowly worked my way up and then I won the Indianapolis 500. Um Things don't quite work that way anymore with OSHA and child labor laws and everybody wanting to do it in reality TV. I do know a lot of people that have kind of started, you know, pushing a broom or thinking they'd push a broom. But there's always something you see in somebody like that beforehand and, the you know, the qualities that they have. You don't just everybody who wants to come in and push a broom. We'd have the cleanest, you know, Floors, floors in the world. If uh, we took everybody who wanted to push a broom uh, at, at at the barber, um, I'll, I'll let um, one of you guys go ahead and start and see see where this goes. Uh, you're going to leave it up to that. Just throw it out to both of us and let there be dead air until one of us decides to talk. Huh? <laughs> yeah, nice. I, I'm really good at editing. We won't know the dead air was there. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in. Uh, so, you know, as John said, we've we've talked in the past on how we, the three of us have got where we are in in the field, the influences of family or people we've known through our lives that have kind of led us on this path. And uh, so I don't want to rehash that too much. It plays into it, but you know, we do a lot of career tours at the Corvette Museum and we also go out to different career events and activities. And I always like to talk to the kids about especially the museum field because as a kid growing up in in school in in high school and in the area I grew up in Nobody really talked about the ideas of working in a museum in any way, uh, any form or fashion. That just wasn't like, hey, there's a career path out there in the museum field. Um, it might be because everyone was bored in history class that nobody actually wanted to think about that. But I always like to point out to to the kids that I talk to, uh, you know, one of the big questions I'll ask a, a big school group is, yeah, what what are what's everybody's favorite topic or subject uh, in school? And of course, you get a wide range of people's you know kids' interests. You know, some are in math, some are in history, some are in English, some you know English reading type thing. Some are in uh, you know social studies or you know uh, civic studies, whatever you know you want to call it uh, today. And, you know, kind of the follow-up question I asked that is, well, how many of you do you think can work in a museum? And, of course, typically it's only the kids that are interested in history that raise their hand. And, okay, yeah, a history degree is going to get you into a museum usually. If you're really passionate about being in a museum, that's a good degree to have. If you want to be a curator, if you want to do something with the history end of the museum. But I always point out to the other kids that, uh, someone who has a d- degree in math, someone who has a degree in English or reading or social studies, there's opportunities for them in the museum world as well. Uh, you know, we have three, four people who have degrees in some type of math that work for us in our financial department. They work for a museum. Granted, they don't work directly with the cars, but they work at the National Corvette Museum. They're a museum employee. So I always try to point that out. That there's a lot of different ways to work in a museum setting, even if you're not specifically working 
with the subject matter within that museum. There's a lot of support roles as well. But on the, you know, the part of my job that is curatorial, uh, of course, when I look to hire people in a collections department or, uh, you know, when I look for jobs, I mean, I've, I've moved from the Henry Ford Museum to the Crawford Auto Aviation Museum to the Corvette Museum. You know, typically what you're looking for in a collections department, especially in the curatorial world, his, historical resources world, uh, people who have a history degree. Um, you know, my background is American history and the history of technologies, uh, technology with museum studies and wrapped in there as well. And, you know, those degrees are what have led me to get my foot in the door uh, and, kind of get to the position I am in. So looking at that, but then also looking at the conservation end of my career and John, you know, you'll probably be able to talk a little bit about conservation as well. You know, that was, yes, I had, I was studying history. I was studying the history of technology and these things, but I had a background in working on cars. Uh, you know, I grew up with a dad that we restored cars I knew cars. I knew how to work on them. To be honest with you, and I know we've we've said it on the show probably a couple times, that was a ch being able to get into the conservation department at Henry Ford Museum was some of what I knew in my background, but some of it was who I knew. I worked at Henry Ford Museum. I made it a direct mission of mine when I started as a presenter there to find out who took care of the car collection. I found out who that was. I made myself known to that person. And then when an internship came open, I applied for that internship. They saw my name. They realized, oh, well, that's Derek. That's the guy that already works here. I know him. Why don't we bring him in and see what he can do? And I was fortunate to get that opportunity through making myself known to people. And, you know, I essentially served as a specialist for the car collection, but also it was an internship. It was kind of an apprenticeship in the conservation world because there is a whole nother uh, program in conservation. You know, there's a couple of universities around the country that offer it and it's, it's kind of a specialized program. So when you're looking in the museum field at working on objects, the, the cars or anything in collections, you know, artifacts, uh, there's a whole science to conservation that um, you actually have to learn. You know, this isn't just um, go in with a, you know, mechanics background or a, um, you know, restoration background. Yes, we hire people like that, but we also hire people that are very specifically trained in conservation sciences that understand how chemical, you know, chemicals react with each other. So chemistry degrees and, or, you know, chemistry backgrounds and they can understand that if they put a certain chemical on a certain paint finish, what it's going to do, whether it's going to destroy the finish, whether it's going to you know, re-adhere the finish to the base material below it, all those kind of things. So, yeah, we look for people with some of those conservation backgrounds as well. Uh, chemistry backgrounds, I was fortunate I had about five years of chemistry um, in my education background as well. So I was able to pick up on the chemistry end of conservation, kind of to add to that ability to work in the conservation department at Henry Ford Museum. So I feel like I'm rambling on a, a little bit here. So I'm going to uh, shut up now and, and let someone else talk. Keep on rambling. <laughs> oh, is this my, is this, is this my episode to just t talk the whole episode? Like your, uh, your, um, uh, episode two weeks ago, Will? Well, I had all sure. last week's episode to myself, so yeah, it is yours. I'm, oh, I'm, well, I'm well sure in that case... Just, no, uh, no, no, please shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that, uh, you know, last time we were all on, y'all got to catch up on social media and Instagram and Facebook while I just sat there and ran my <laughs> mouth, so... I, I'd never you know, be distracted um, by that while I was uh, just, broadcasting. Yeah. yeah. No. Carry carry on, Derek. <laughs> no, I mean I guess well, you know, John, I guess uh, you know, seeing you're kind of the uh the moderator of all of our our uh, topics here. Is there anything that you can think of that you, you know, 
you'd want to hear more in depth on or not um, anything like that about. No, I was of... on Facebook. <laughs> oh, all right. I got to listen to you during editing. But no, I was listening and I'm going, you know, <laughs> D- Derek's right. There's a lot of those applications and stuff, but I, I'm in this odd world. Um, and I think Derek and I have had the conversation before that automotive museums are a little bit different than, say, working in the Smithsonian Museum of National History or there there is a little bit more lax to to some of our hiring practices and maybe as much as we want to or we don't want to some of the standard museum practices aren't always adhered to i'm sure the museum people love hearing that but unless 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 Derek's a curator and then people make fun of him because he insists that everyone wears gloves when they touch artifacts I came to the museum from a conservation job, and we worked with various museums, different museums, different curators constantly. And over the years, you learned everybody had a different procedure and something a, a little bit different. It's not all, I guess I'm not saying it's all not all stone set in stone. At Barber's, we have a restoration department, which is odd in a lot of museums. There's sometimes maintenance departments and that, but a lot of the artifacts for um, restoration get sent out and then come back and then are just maintained by the museum or things like that. So we have a couple, you know, a couple of guys on staff and one, you know, used to race cars, um, did some amateur NASCAR things and uh, eventually, you know, you you realize that we're all not going to grow up and be. Um, well, I'm sorry, I can't think of a current NASCAR. Jimmy Johnson or Jeff Gordon or somebody like that, and he you know he moved on over into our shop and kind of started as that you know apprentice. I still joke that we still have four boxes of bolts that on his first or second day he was assigned to. You need to sort these and put them back in the appropriate bins. Well, that was seven or eight years ago. Those four boxes still sit in my parts room as a reminder of the things he has never, he has been told to do that he didn't do. But he, you know, he's a pretty much a full fledged restoration technician now. Takes apart things, put things back together, and has really grown into the job over the years. So that is, you could say, the guy that really started pushing a broom and worked his way up into the position and. Uh, we've got another one that used to race when Barbers had a race team. And when the race team went away, he kind of just moved into the restoration, very familiar with motorcycles and such. And, you know, another guy came up through the military and then various dealer organizations and that. And has kind of found his niche as a specialist. And, you know, the, the, it's amazing the career fields that people come from, you know, a a banker comes in and, you know, does a lot of our machine work now. And, you know, I'm the only one that really has a proper restoration degree. And I got into the museum industry by sheer luck, by being the the foreman for that conservation company in, in uh, in their studios, doing and overseeing the physical work being done. But it allowed me to learn a lot of the museum operations. So, when a mu- you know the museum job presented itself, it was kind of the best of both worlds to me. And I returned to automotive restoration and playing with cars. And I still got to stay in the museum. Be- uh, what I enjoy most is teaching kids and getting people interested in the field. Like Derek said, there's so many different avenues that are available to be exposed in this car industry. And we have accountants on staff. We have conservators. We have media people. We have events people. Even if you're not a mechanic, but you like cars, there's there's positions out there for you. You know, it's not not exactly the, the way I thought our topic would go. You know, I've worked in restoration shops over the years, and you know, got into a shop when I was in school, and that that led me to another shop, and I would have never got into the the second restoration job I had without the first restoration job. And you know, I started in a tire shop, and then I went to a gas station, and then when I went to school, I went to work for a small restoration job or shop. And then I got lucked out when I graduated. I got into one of the top restoration facilities in the country, but they had a policy. They wouldn't hire anybody unless you had three years real world restoration experience. 
Well, because I had spent time while in college in a shop and I had spent time prior to that, you know, working on cars, the owner said, well, that does we'll qualify that as a uh, restoration. It was my first conversation with uh, Billy Thompson II at, at White Post Restorations. I met him at Barrett Jackson one year and I kind of gave him a little spiel about me and Oh, I'm so, you know, it was basically, I'm sorry, son, we'd love to hire you. And Billy's happy chipper way. But he goes, I, I can only hire experienced people. You know, we do top quality work. And they go, well, but Billy, uh, you know, I'm not just a student. Here's my, oh, and then he was all of a sudden a little bit interested and said, send me a resume. And I sent him a resume. And there's a lot of legwork and there's a lot of asking and there's a lot of being told no. I was told no by some pretty big shops. And amazingly, a couple of those shops and businesses have asked me to work for them again over the years. And I usually, well, I'm always looking for a job. It's really hard to get me to move. It's it's just a myriad of ways I can say to, to get involved, but it's, let's just steal from Nike and say, just do it. We're gonna, Now we're going to pass it off to Will and see, you know, he, he's always on here. We'll, we'll first let him start with his help wanted of the week ad. And and then uh, maybe he'll tell you what qualifications you need for to maybe fill that job. Will you have you have two minutes? So make it count. You burn up your time two weeks ago. Well, that's funny you mentioned that because that's exactly where I was going. Um, two minutes. <laughs> well, I, I won't. I won't put my. Uh, who we're looking for right now out there. I'm just going to say a couple of things and we'll let that be that. Um, you know, the biggest thing that I look for when I'm trying to hire somebody is their passion for cars, period. You know, one of the last guys I hired, I hired him to work in the office. He has a passion for cars just not old cars, you know? So that didn't make me not hire him. I mean, he, yes, he's coming in doing more, more office work and answering the phone and stuff like that, but he has a passion for cars and he's really good at tuning LS motors and any, any fuel injected motors. He's really, really good at. Um, so, I mean, to me, that is number one on the list. If you want to work in, in a hot rod shop or in the industry, you've got to have a passion for this. Um, because if you don't, it's, it's not for you. Um, a, you're not going to get rich. So if, if, if money is what drives you, don't go to work at a hot rod shop. Um, because you're not going to get rich. You're going to, you're going to love your job if you have a passion for cars and, and you know, what do they say? If, if you love your job, you never work a day in your life. That That's the biggest thing I look for. And, and, you know, as far as how to get your foot in the door at, at a place, experience really, really help. I, I went to McPherson college with, with John. We actually were up there the same years, graduated the same year. And that, that opened the door, uh, really, really opened the door for me to get into the shop that I went into after I graduated. Uh, I actually had three job offers when I graduated uh, from McPherson. And they were in hot rod shops, you know, and McPherson is a, is a restoration program, not a, not a hot rod program. If hot rods are your passion, you can still go to a restoration school and learn the process. Um, it, it's essentially the same process as far as getting out in the shop and working. You got to weld, you got to be able to move sheet metal. You got to be able to sand primer, you know, wet sanding, buffing, mechanical, you know, all that stuff is essentially the same work. Uh, the biggest difference is, building a hot rod, you, you, you get to be a little more creative and, and do things differently than the way the factory did. That's really the biggest difference. Building an engine is building an engine. Welding a piece of sheet metal is welding a piece of sheet metal, whether it's going back original or you're making a hot rod out of it. Experience is going to get you a lot of, uh, a lot of leeway looking for a job and, but getting that experience 
can can be difficult sometimes because you know we're building you know i mean our our full builds start at a, you know 150 200,000 dollars so it's hard to take somebody in that doesn't have any experience and just put them on a on a job that it is it's it's difficult you got to know what you're doing just to just to jump in there um i I give my dad a hard time he's he he wants to come in and help some and i'm just like oh we got it we got it we got it (laughs) you know just uh and and that's my dad so i'm uh pretty critical on, on the guys in the shop and pretty critical on 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 hiring people um most most of the time i let them come in and do a little do a little welding test or a little sheet metal fab test or or something like that just to kind of just to kind of gauge their experience and how much you have to hold their hand to get a get the machine set right to tig weld this or tig weld that so you know experience goes a long way and getting your foot in the door for me it was it was going to college got really got my foot in the door into uh greening auto company which was the first job that i had when i graduated college which is a nationally known riddler winning hot rod shop you know have a passion for cars learn how to do some stuff and try to you know try to get a job in in the industry somewhere so you know will and and john both you you guys said some things that that kind of made me think about kind of some clarification on maybe what I, I said at first. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that John mentioned was, you know, the, there's the restoration end there's, and, and, you know, talked about a little bit at first too, the conservation end, there's the restoration end, things like that. And it is kind of one of the unique things in, the let's call it the the transportation museum world uh so auto aviation um railroad you know all the different transportation carriages all these different uh, you know methods of transportation and vehicles uh even in the shipping um you know boats and ships uh maritime type uh, museums there tends to be more debate in the conservation versus restoration world. So, you know, essentially preserving something over restoring it. And I think we've talked about this a little bit on, on various shows in the past, but as John talked and as Will talked, it made me think of kind of a perfect example of this split world within the, museum, the transportation museum world. And that is, uh, John brought up the Smithsonian and the National Air and Space Museum has their new newer facility out at Dulles Airport known as Udvar-Hazy. Within the Udvar-Hazy uh, Center, there is the conservation and restoration facility. And it's probably one of the greatest examples of what can happen in the museum, the the transportation museum world, because really half of that department is conservation and half of that department focuses on restoration. On the conservation side, you have people being hired that are highly trained conservators and conservation scientists and, you know, specialists in certain areas of conservation. And then on the restoration side, you have guys that, and, and ladies, pe- you know, various people that are being uh, brought in out of truly the, the restoration world and the background of understanding what Will talked about, which is, okay, if I'm restoring something, how am I moving the sheet metal? How am I you know, welding this appropriately, how am I riveting an aircraft appropriately to a historic nature and making sure those things are done in the proper order and the proper way for a museum type restoration. So that is probably one of the the greatest examples of, of the two kind of worlds that exist in the 
you know, if you want to be hands-on with collections in the transportation world of two different ways you can go. And, and I would highly suggest if any of our listeners have a chance to get out to uh, Dulles Airport and see that facility, you can actually walk around on a catwalk above the restoration shop. It's a fantastic facility. Uh, I have the good fortune of, of you know, the, the current chief conservator there is my former boss at Henry Ford Museum and the man who essentially trained me in conservation. You know, he's given me a, a tour of the facility and, you know, it it's kind of one of those, especially if you're an aviation guy, someone interested in aviation, it's probably that benchmark of museums of, man, if I could get in the museum world and work in that kind of facility, that's the benchmark of it. Uh, but again, that's where, you know, we say start out at the small ones and, and work your way up into something like that and get not only that college education that you'll need or that, you know, tech school uh, education that you'll need, then get the on-the-job experience and get those years behind you and, and work your way up uh, to a facility like that. And at the, the Corvette Museum, you know, we're, we do restorations. Um, you know, they have a, a great uh, preservation technician there. That's his title. But um, a lot of what he does is more restoration work. Uh, we, you know, did the restoration of the 62 that fell in the sinkhole, but now that I'm on staff, I'm also, uh, you know, kind of training him and some of the, uh, part-timers that we're bringing in now in some of the preservation techniques we need to use as well. And, uh, you know, hopefully someday maybe we'll have, a facility somewhat like that where, yeah, part of it is doing restoration, but there's another group that focuses on, you know, the preservation of the unrestored original objects, you know, so we can have that balance, uh, of, you know, some unrestored preserved artifacts and some that need restoration so they can be back out on the floor again. And, uh, actually I'll say, John, the Barber Museum is another fantastic facility, in the the automotive and, and more so motor motorcycle uh, world to go and you can see the restoration shops in action. And uh, that was probably one of the coolest things when I was there was just to be able to see the restoration shops. You know, you can see the projects you guys are working on and uh, really get that experience kind of as a visitor firsthand. Yeah, I, let me back up a little bit in what you were saying. And Believe it or not, many years back, a little over a decade ago, I lived about 10, 12 miles from the Hazy Center or Hazy Center at Dulles. And what a fabulous museum. The catwalk was being constructed and stuff while I lived there, but I've had an opportunity to visit. I didn't realize uh, you had a connection there. A couple of our guys from the shop, uh, we've got a motorcycle on long-term loan, and it's one of these funny things at the Smithsonian Museum of the American Indian, we actually have a Indian motorcycle on loan to them for 10 years. There, you're caring for a car at History Museum of the American Indian. But a couple of our guys went and toured that, and one of our guys is a very, very big um, air and space guy, just enjoys it. He's, you know, him and I have went up to Huntsville a few times because, you know, I was involved with the Saturn V rocket up there and couple things at the Huntsville Space and Rocket Center. And it's just that you you never know. You know, Der Derek and I met just Henry Ford had brought down some cars to a uh, Mustang celebration that was being held at Barber, totally unrelated. But what you get out of this, you can't be afraid. If you want to get into this industry, you'll find it it doesn't matter uh, as long as you have a little bit of knowledge about the topic, all networking, it's all, it's literally all in who you know. Um, you know, you go to a car show and everybody's in their little click groups and buddy buddies. And if you go up and you, excuse me, act like a smart ass and a know-it-all, you're going to be treated like a smart ass and a know-it-all and be shunned. But if you go in and you're welcome and receptive and you have intelligent conversations and you're friendly and you don't act like a smart ass and know-it-all, you'll be accepted. And it's, I found the same thing in any of the car industry, not just the museum world that I play in now, you know, back when I was doing car restoration and it heavily in the car world, car guys, 
come together because we're car guys. And if you, like Will said, if you've got a passion for a car and you show, you know, you have a half a brain and a willingness to learn, most of us will give you a chance. You know, I might not be able to hire you, but that's why we're doing this episode tonight. We're telling you how to go out and do it. You know, I, I've always have people asking me, hey, do you know somebody I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking for somebody to do this or I'm, you know, we're hiring here. There's always jobs in this field. And like Will said, you're not going to get rich, but some of them are actually some pretty good paying jobs. So <laughs> you, you, uh, it's a good career. And again, as Will said, you know, they, you know, these guys harass me every week because I don't do a damn thing at work. And it's really true. You don't, you know, if you have fun at your job, you, you, you never work. Um, I've sat down many times and been frustrated and, you know, tell my girlfriend or talk to my parents or friends and go, you know, to heck with this stuff. I'm, I'm going to quit and I'm going to get a real job. And I've kind of joked, I've played my, played my life the right way. Uh, once I figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up in my early 20s and I got into this car industry and I've played with cars and I've restored cars for the last 20, 25 years. And we'll do it for at least five or 10 more. But I'm slowly moving my way into a desk job as I near retirement. And I talk to so many people every day that they just tell me, oh, I do what you do for for, for free. I can't wait to retire to do what you do. Well, funny thing is, is now as I get closer to retirement, I want a desk job and I've already done all that restoration when I was young and I could enjoy it and could actually crawl around a car and not moan in pain as, <laughs> as these 40s and the 50s start approaching me. It happens. So I guess my long-winded statement there is make friends, talk to people, don't act like you know it all, be, be willing to learn. And that's part of every day I learn something. If I go don't learn something every day, I go to bed a, a lesser person because there's so much out there to learn. I spent four days last week with Clive Chapman, uh, son of uh, Colin, who's the founder of Lotus, and we were filming some stuff at the museum. And it was kind of amazing because this guy who has so many ties to Lotus he was coming to me asking me some questions on the early cars he wasn't too familiar about. And I could go to him and ask him on some of the stuff that he knew. And, you know, he's not afraid to to ask, ask a question. And I, I'm not afraid to ask a question. And it, it makes for a very good relationship. And, you know, we're joking about that. I might, go, you know, I might go to Goodwood this year. Don't know if that's actually going to come to fruition. But, um, my boss said, well, you got to go because he's got questions for you. He, he's got a list of things. He needs you to come into the workshop and answer some questions. And I go, you know, this, this, you know, Weasley little American kid gets to go over and, you know, even if they're joking with me and, you know, a lot of it is, is ribbing, like I said, a Weasley little American kid gets to go over to the Lotus workshops and, you know, work with some of these people that, you know, worked with Jimmy Clark and, to, you know, worked with Senna and Fittipaldi and Rent. And so it, it's a dream job and you have fun. Now, I don't live in a huge mansion. I don't have 14 cars. I have fun every day and I look forward to going to work every day. Eh, it does become a job every now and then, but it's fun. So just go out and talk to people and don't be afraid. People ask me how I got my job at Barber. The simple answer is I asked for it. I cold sent a resume one day and... It happened to be the day, or I guess it arrived on a Monday, and in the Tuesday meeting, they decided they would hire another restoration technician, and guess whose resume was on the top of the stack and was there Wednesday afternoon for an interview. And four months later, moving from Washington, D.C. to Alabama. You just got to ask for it. You know, don't wait for the one ad. Don't wait for whatever. Just do it. Well, a little quick thing about... um being at a car show and talking to people and whatever, you know, being, being friendly and whatnot. My, my lead fabricator right now, I met at a car show, young kid had a cool truck and, you know, didn't think nothing about it. Just had a mutual friend introduced us to each other. Um, year or so went, went by, wound up, becoming a member of a little car club that I was in that 
I was just kind of an honorary member, to be honest with you. I didn't really get to do a whole lot with them. They were from, it was about an hour and a half north of, uh, from where I'm at. And, um, anyway, they wound up, he wound up becoming a member of this little club and anyway, never worked in a hot rod shop, just piddled with stuff, you know, in, in his garage at his house, um, worked at a quick oil change place, matter of fact. And, um, we was at a little social gathering and I was, I was talking to him and I said, you ever thought about building hot rods? And he goes, man, every day <laughs> or building hot rods for a living. And he's like every day. And I'm like, why don't you come talk to me? You know? And, um, I knew he had a passion for cars and, um, come to find out, you know, he came in here and, and really kicks ass every day and has become the lead fabricator here at the shop. So, you know, I mean, he didn't really have, he had some experience, you know, building his own cars and his, his own trucks. But as far as, you know, having, um, professional experience in, in a shop, he had none. And, um, you know, if, if you really want to, you can do anything and that's something he really wanted to do. And, um, it's, um, it's kind of crazy how things like that work out, but I mean, there's, there's your, there's the perfect ending to what John was saying about going to, going to, going to shows and, you know, just talking to somebody about their car and you never know where it, it might lead. You know, that, that guy may not own a hot rod shop, but, he may have a friend that owns a hot rod or restoration shop that is looking for somebody, you know, Hey, I met this kid at the car show, man. He's really passionate about it and asked me a lot of cool questions. And, you know, you never know where, where it can go. Funny. Some of the stuff that eventually trickles back to you that, you know, somebody says something bad. So you've, you've got to, you got to remember you're always networking if you want to play in this game, because bridges you build in this industry are important. And when they're burned, they might totally lead to a whole new continent that you'll never get to again. It's <laughs> I'm a good one for burning bridges and um, I've paid for it sometimes. So that that's a voice of experience talking to you is be true to yourself, but <laughs> your brain's working a little bit faster than your mouth. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's a tight, it's a tight knit community and um, you don't want to, you don't want to burn bridges. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, that kind of sparked something in my, my memory bank when you guys brought up car shows and, uh, you know, meeting people. And that was actually probably one of the, the fluke cases of how I got to know some of the people at Henry Ford Museum as a presenter is there's there's two different car shows at, at that Henry Ford Museum hosts. Inside Greenfield Village, there's Motor Muster, which is for more modern cars, 1932 to 1976. And then you've got Old Car Festival that is everything pre-1932. And the first year I was a presenter, of course, I, I everybody knows that listens to the show. One of my biggest passions is very early automobiles. I knew as a presenter... I had to go out and see Old Car Festival. It was the first time uh, I was an employee at Henry Ford Museum. It was the first time I was down in that area at the time Old Car Festival was going on. So Saturday, I had to work as a presenter, get off at, at five o'clock. Well, Old Car Festival goes until nine o'clock on Saturday night. So I go out to the village afterwards and I just start walking around looking at everything and the museum always has tents set up with display cars that they run from the collection. And, uh, you know, I just kind of was checking out what was out from the museum and I hung around until the very end of the show. You know, I kind of knew, uh, Malcolm who would become my boss, uh, at the time I, I introduced myself to him a few times. So he kind of knew who I was and I just hung out till the end of the show. Of course, I, I had my uniform on and my badge on, so nobody was going to really throw me out. I was just kind of standing there chit-chatting a little bit. Next thing I know, I was you know, inside the tent with 
Malcolm and, and the cars and some of the other people and just hanging out and fire, you know, watching them fire up the sweepstakes replica or, um, you know, firing up old 16 and, uh, different stuff like that. And, and the next thing I knew the year after that, I was one of Malcolm's employees and I was out in the village helping with, uh, you know, anything and everything that needed to be done in the tent or running around with the antique vehicle garage, helping people that had cars that weren't running right or stalled or, uh, you know, needed any kind of assistance. I was out there as part of, part of that, you know, conservation team that got to go out and do all that stuff. So, you know, like these guys says, said, you you never know who you're going to meet or what impression you're going to leave on those people. Uh, you know, I mean, I was just as, as, you know, uh, John says about going over to, to the Lotus, you know, classic team Lotus workshops and, you know, I'm this dweeby little, you know, 20, I don't know, I was 21, 20 at the time, 2021 20, at the time. And I was just hanging around a tent. I didn't feel like I belonged or fit in because I wasn't known by that group of people, but I just kind of hung out and listened and learned. And I left an impression on Malcolm and the staff that when an opportunity came up, they were like, Hey, that Derek guy, he seems pretty good. He, he's got a knowledge base. Let's give him a chance. And the rest, I mean, has developed into a career that I'm lucky to have, like John says, and, and will, you know, we, we love our jobs and every day we go to work, it doesn't feel like work. I go in to the Corvette museum and I have a good day. I have, I have fun. And yeah, there's some things that, you got to make some hard decisions and, and maybe it's not always fun to be there, but at the end of the day, I come home happy and feel like I've, I haven't really worked. I feel like I had a fun day and I'm doing a job that I feel is worthwhile and I have a passion for. So, uh, yeah, just, just something that sparked in my mind. Well, I think we've chatted a little bit and we basically summed up that, you know, don't be afraid. You got to work for it. And this stuff doesn't come easy. Say so we basically have just summed everything up and said, this doesn't come easy. Work for it. Ask for it. Don't be afraid to knock on doors. Don't be a pest, but don't be afraid to knock on doors and see where it leads you to. Uh, do you guys have anything else to add? Because we're approaching that 60 minute mark. I hate going over that anymore, but. I think we probably, hopefully, provided some insight. Uh, do you guys have anything to add? The only thing I would say, and I, I tell people this all the time, especially kids that I meet, you know, if you've got an interest in this and you want to do it, I mean, I'm I'm always open to talk to anybody. Don't be afraid to come talk to me if you're interested in the museum field and you want to reach out. If you're, you know, a young listener of this podcast. And you want to talk to to me, and I'm sure John and Will feel the same way. If you're passionate about what they do, reach out. Come reach out through the podcast. I'll, I'll talk to you. I mean, I had a kid at one of the career fairs I went to here in Bowling Green. He walked up to me. He said, "You're the curator of the Corvette Museum." I said, "Yep." And he said, "I'm going to take your job one day." I handed him my business card and I said, "Give me a call," because you know what? I, I want to. Ins- a part of my thing is I want to inspire kids that might not have the chance to learn this stuff uh, because, you know, their parents aren't involved in it, but they want to be. I want to give them the chance. I want to show them what the museum world's about. And if that inspires them to work in it, all the better. So that's what I'd say. If, if there's somebody out there listening or, you know, parents of kids that have talked about this, reach out, let us know. Yeah, I'd like to add that, you know, you know, building cars is it's expensive. You know, there's no way around it. It doesn't matter what car it is. It's it's an expensive hobby to be in. Um, it, it's expensive to do it at your house. It's expensive to pay somebody to do it. You know, you can you can modify your daily driver, whatever it is. If you're 16, 17, 18 years old, start with that. You know, start by buying simple bolt-on stuff and then eventually 
buying bolt-on stuff and changing it a little bit and and then next thing you know you're going to be making your own pieces to go on your own car and then you know it just it leads in to to just really being create creative and designing your own parts and pieces to build for your car and next thing you know you know you're going to have a car to build from scratch um you know that's some of the best experience you can get right there is in in your home garage or in your neighbor's garage or your granddad's garage or whoever's garage um trial and error you know do it if it don't turn out the way you, you want it do it again you're going to get as much experience doing that as you will anything, especially at a young age. And like you said, like Derek said, you know, it, it, any kid on the planet, if they called, if they called the shop tomorrow, I would tell them everything that I know. It may not be a whole lot, but you know, if it's advice on, on how to modify this to bolt it on this or whatever, you know, so that that's that's ultimately where it, where it really starts having a passion for cars is is you finding a place if you don't have a place to work on your car or you know just just getting out in your driveway and doing stuff that'll teach you a lot right there. John, what's your closing uh, arguments? There's no closing arguments. I'm in total agreement. Uh, like I said earlier in this podcast and many times over the course of this, our episodes, I do this to inspire. And that's why the podcast exists, partly so that we can get on our soapboxes and complain about things. But also, I think the biggest motivating factor for all three of us is to get kids involved in the car hobby. It's so number one, it ensures we have jobs till we retire. Number two, it's a fun industry. It's a fun thing to do. You can get exposed to so much in the, the collector car world, the hot rod industry. Yeah. You, I think everybody pretty much knows where all of us work. You, But reach out to us through our Facebook, Instagram, and send us a message. Uh, I think even nodrivinggloves at gmail.com is the email address. If you've got a question or you want a direction or, hell, you want to send Will a resume, <laughs> you don't know how to get a hold of Will, you know, send it to us. Let us know. We'll we'll point you in the right direction if you're not going to say we're a job placement service, but you say I think all of us know of two or three guys looking for help outside of even us. We're here to, here to help you. Uh, we'll get back to you. Might not be within 24 hours, which is my rule, but we'll get back to you and we'll try you know answer any questions you have. We want to see this industry go on, and we want other people to enjoy what we have uh just don't tell us you'll do our jobs for free because we have to take you out back and shoot shoot you but whoa jeez, um, wow man well, yeah i'm not i'm not giving my job up my boss finds out somebody will do my job for free i'm gonna be unemployed <laughs> but with that uh, be sure to check out no driving gloves on our instagram and facebook pages uh if you want to go to uh the Apple Podcasts, and look us up there, subscribe there, leave us a five-star review, or honestly, in or any review, but five-star helps us, one star, yet you're not even listening to us anyway. So I think with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up for the week, and we'll see you, or most of us will see you next week. I'm out of here. Later. Bye-bye. Bye